The name's Dyson. Calvin Dyson. And I am one third of your hosts for a podcast review of Casino Royale, the 2006 film that I have been looking forward to for so long. Well, actually, only since we did GoldenEye. Um, because this is, <laughs> this is the last chance that one of my co-hosts, Sol Harris, might actually like a Bond film. And I'm very excited to get into this discussion. Every time we begin a new Bond, I'm like, maybe this one, maybe this one, maybe this one. And maybe it will be this one. Who knows? I'm Calvin. And uh, here, as always, on Diminishing Returns are Alan. Hello. And Sol. (laughs) April Fool's dickhead. We're not doing Casino Royale. We're doing the Smurfs movie. You idiot. (laughs) That, oh, that was actually an April Fool's, because we are doing Casino Royale. <laughs> the real oh, one. You got them good with that one. Well <laughs> yeah. done. Yes, thanks for introing us, Calvin. Um, uh, setting, the, setting the stakes, I think, for this episode very effectively. <laughs> this is The tension in the air is palpable. It's Bond's last hurrah. Well, we've got five more films to come. So yeah. <laughs> but I was going to say, would you say if I... If I didn't like this film, would you say there's no chance for, for example, Skyfall to oh. uh, top it? You might like Skyfall. That that would be the only one. Obviously, none of us have seen No Time to Die yet. You won't like Never Say Never Again. I know that much. You might be a bit annoying and like Quantum of Solace just because it's short. Um, yeah. Yeah, I could see that. But uh, you won't like Spectre. So, so yeah. Spectre? But, but this is... I hardly know her. But this is the last Well, wait one. till we do the film. How many times am I going to get that in? <laughs> That's what she said. hey I can't imagine you really disliking this one and really loving Skyfall. Like, I feel like they're, they're often sort of... Um, yeah. Well, I'll say right now, Skyfall's got a great theme tune, which this doesn't. Oh. Goes a long way to set the tone for me up front, put me in a, in a good mood. Well, if, let's not jump to the the song yet, because uh, before we even get into the film, I would like to ask Calvin. I would like to invite Calvin to give us a bit of interbond history. Oh. Um, so, what was the last Brosnan debacle that we just watched? Right. Yes. Um, well, uh, prior to watching the original Casino Royale movie um, last week on the show, we yes, we two did look ago. at two weeks. Actually, it's probably six weeks ago. Oh, um, whenever we did. <laughs> Anyway, it was Die Another Day, which was released in 2002, and which was not oh, yeah. which was not badly reviewed, which made an awful lot of money. Brosnan's... It was by me. Well, Brosnan's, uh, you know, the trajectory... It was pretty badly reviewed. You said this when we did the Die Another Day episode, but it, like, it, it, it was pretty panned. <laughs> it, it got kind of no, 5 I... out of 10, 4 out of 10 kind of reviews. And... Um, I... Those are retrospective ones because I I don't remember it being that way. I seem to remember all of the reviews being oh it's a good bit of Bond fun, typical sort of thing, um, loud and audacious and all that. That was the first Bond film I saw in the cinema, and uh, it, it, yeah, I thought it was crap then as well as now. So <laughs> presumably that was the end of the Brosnan contract, and they weren't trying to get him to do any more, or were they? And he was like, nah, I need to, I need to. Do some Mamma Mia films. Well, embarrassingly, uh, it, it was quite late in the game that they cut Pierce off, and he was actually, after Die Another Day, he lent his he, likeness... He went to, to see Casino Royale, realised he wasn't in it. 
bad. <laughs> they, uh, they made a, a game called Everything or Nothing, which was, I think, 2003, 2004 was when it was released. And they, they really went all out with it. They got, like, Willem Dafoe in as the main villain to do the voice and the likeness. And John Cleese and Judy Dench came in. And Richard Keel came back as Jaws. Heidi Klum was a villain in it. And, you know, they really treated it sort of the casting sort of like it was a film. Um, and in the behind the scenes of that, you hear Brosnan sort of saying, like, oh, well, these games are really good. And John Cleese as well is sort of saying, like, well, they're really good to tide over the fans until we make the next one, which we will be doing in a couple of years' time. And obviously no one except for Judy Dench came back for this. So, yeah, there was <laughs> there was an anticipation that he would come back. Because, like I say, like, his films hadn't stopped making money. Like, they were, uh, trajectory-wise, Dine of the Day made more than the previous one, which made more than the previous one, which made more than the previous one. So, business sense-wise, there was no reason to let him go just yet. But they, the producer, is, is that like Spider Man Three though? Spider Man Three made more money than Spider Man Two, didn't it? But there was a sense in the air of like, well, that made money because the last one was good, but no one's going to come back now, so we need to sort this out. Well, this is it because the Bond producers had the rights to Casino Royale now, and they'd had it for a few years previously, and they kind of felt that you know what, if we're going to do that story, it has to be a rookie sort of Bond. Uh, we have to sort of tell a early Bond story, and we can't do that with. They, they didn't want to needlessly erase the wonderful 1967 adaptation. <laughs> no, no, God forbid. Well, they they. They could have come. They could have not done Casino Royale yet and just mm. gone with one of the usual pieces of crap with Pierce Brosnan. So, <sighs> what may? <laughs> I guess my question is: Did they not want Brosnan, or did he ref... did he not want to do any more? Oh no, he'd be doing them today if they let him. Like, uh, <laughs> it, it was. Do you definitely... know what? I'd watch that. I think he'd still be capable. He's a lot more alive than Roger Moore ever was. Oof. Well, well, he's still doing. He's doing a bit of that Liam Neeson, the action, the occasional action role every now and then. Uh, so yeah, I, I, I mean, I'd love him if he was still doing it today. But uh, yeah, no, it was very much a kind of, and he did a little bit of sort of. He went a bit sour on the whole thing for a little bit, and I'm not surprised because the, you know, he'd fulfilled his contract with Dino the Day, but they could have brought him back for more. There were options in the contracts for more, and so it was just yeah, kind of like, okay. You gotta move on, aren't you? Well, it wasn't like Roger Moore just gets too old for it, right? Amicable sort of thing. This was like a, oh, okay, you're dumping me. Okay. But they felt like they needed to kind of start afresh. And the series does this every now and then. Like, after You and Live Twice, we had Majesty's Secret Service. After Moonraker, we have um, For Your Eyes Only. And it does this every now and then. It gets so silly and big and audacious. And then it feels like it has to ground itself and go back to the source material with Ian Fleming. And as they'd never been a serious, proper adaptation of Casino Royale for the big screen, uh, it made sense to them Apart from to that do one it. in 1967. Yes, apart from that one in 1967. I want to talk a little bit about the hunt for new Bond. Mm. Because, like I say, again, this is the first time I can remember that being in the news and, and all that sort of stuff. Uh, I mean, what? well, who else was in the running, do you know? What was the gossip? Uh, well, well, it actually came down to Daniel Craig and Henry Cavill. Uh, and it was Barbara Broccoli, I believe, the producer, who had the final say in saying it was Daniel Craig, the director, Martin Campbell, preferred Henry Cavill for it. And I believe can I ask? A, a, can I ask, what is it about Henry Cavill then? Because obviously he was close on the Bond thing. He must have been quite young then. And oh, yes. Then he got the Superman job. Like, what? I've ne But I've seen him act. There's nothing. He's all right. He's fine. I guess, he, you know, he's a, look, he's a good looking fella. He's mm. a very specific look. 
kind of guy that you get who looks like that. And I think these characters are characters who don't really have any personality or charm. Uh, yeah. Superman certainly is all about writing around Superman, and and I say this as a fan of Superman. You know, I think there's some great stories to be had there, but you, you're working against the tide with the character there. And I think James Bond's the same thing. He's a uh, no. Well, really boring, I think Bond has man. been the same thing until they put Daniel Craig in it. I think he does bring a charm to. And actually, that's not true at all. There is I think a he charm brings there. a degree of depth to it that's not been here before. But I wouldn't go so far as to say charm or likability or engagement no, we'll, he has very we'll, piercing we'll look, eyes i'll give him we'll that look at that like, but, but okay so they wanted a, a young bond a, a, a sort of a, a new up-and-comer bond so mm. they went with daniel craig who was what 43 at the time <laughs> Is that... uh, how old would he have been he, he wouldn't have been far off of that but that was why martin campbell preferred henry cavill because martin campbell i was gonna say henry cavill was much younger yes. in 2006 than which does that, make right? sense with the storyline they're going with i guess exactly but yeah what this was very much a conscious and really for the first time they've done this a conscious reboot of the character we're kind of starting well, I, again. I wanted to ask about this mm. calvin mm. is this a is, is this because I, I found conflicting stuff online, basically. Is this a sequel to the other Bond films? Is this set in the same continuity, or is this just wipe the slate clean, we're starting again, this is its own thing? Is it a prequel on a sliding timeline where this guy's going to turn into Pierce Brosnan? Because they obviously they keep Judy Dench, which is a curious decision if it is just a slate well, clean. Well, they do change her character. She's... Yeah, she's she's different. We'll we'll probably get into um what exactly. But yeah, this is a wipe the slate clean. At the time, I don't know if it was entirely clear. I know that some people like irrespective of the dates that the films came out in, I know that some people hypothesize that this film is like a prequel to all of the others and you know, we yeah. don't take into account the the dates and everything. What we will find out as the Craig timeline goes on that that's definitely not the case, but they do treat these as kind of one at a time sort of things. But I think that's the impression I got watching it, is that it was kind of made to work both ways, and it's just as they've had to kind of... Like the Planet of the Apes movies, when they rebooted that, Rise of the Planet of the Apes absolutely works as a prequel to those old Planet of the Apes movies, but as you mm. kind of progress forward, it's you know increasingly kind of overwrites the uh, the other movies to the point that they can't kind of work in tandem. I think Batman Begins was the same as well, wasn't it? Guess so, yeah, yeah. You could say that, okay, well, this was just before, but then the later ones sort of went a completely different way with it. So, uh, I remember when Daniel Craig was picked as Bond, The I remember the, the biggest problem that you people, Calvin, your people, the Bond fans, <laughs> yes. the biggest problem they had with it was that he was blonde, is that right? Yes, yes, that was the big issue at the time. Did they, does that seem stupid now? It seems very stupid. Because it seems stupid now, then. I remember <laughs> me, it was in yeah. the newspapers as well because when they made the big announcement of him as Bond, they like, you know, they had it on the Thames and they drove him in on a, a dinghy sort of thing with the military guard and everything, and he was wearing a life jacket. And all of the papers picked up on that and were like, James Bond wearing a life jacket? How lame is that? And Health and like, safety gone mad. It's a gadget. <laughs> and there were a lot of things about like at some point in this film we're going to see him driving a Ford whatever a, a non sort of flash 
non-sports car, and that was picked up as being like, oh, he's trading his Aston Martin for this pathetic normal person car. What's that about? So there was so yeah. much bad press leading up to it. But then the the flip side of that is that he was able to punch a man in the face convincingly, <laughs> which no other Bond has ever done. So, Well, you, yeah, yeah. Uh... Because, yeah, I mean, let's, okay, so there's no doubt, and, and sort of having watched all these in sequence sort of more recently, it is amazing the transformation that has occurred. This is a new Bond for a new millennium. It's, it is updated its cinematic language to it's a contemporary It's by, by far period. and away the biggest leap between films that we've had. Yeah. Like, no question. There's no change between any of the other films that is this drastic going from one mm. to the other. Even including Casino Royale, the original spoof movie, if you were to include that in the mix, <laughs> it would still be less of a change uh, than it is going from Die Another Day to this. But it is. It's not just the characters obviously changed. They kind of made him hard and um, a little bit more brutal. I don't think the character's that different at all, to be honest. It's just that like the film's been made by filmmakers. Like there's actual well, cinematography. Yeah. And... Well, that's it. It's the same director, isn't it, as did... It's the same people. It's uh, Neil Purvis and Robert Wade mm. that have written the last two. It's Martin Campbell and Phil Mayhew coming back as director and cinematographer from GoldenEye. It's well, that's surprising. Same shocking, production designer. Same well, producers. I, I saw Paul Haggis's name on the. Yes, on the credits, he is the new element. Yes, um, and I thought he felt like he had his fingerprints on it. But I also think it's the acting. You know, there's actual. Actors. quality actors in this film who i know from other work outside of bond and as i mm. said in our recent uh, casino royale spoof 1967 episode you don't really get that in bond bond feels for the most part like quite an insular franchise that finds obscure little relics from other countries dubs them into english because they can't speak english and then everyone just kind of sticks to their own like colin salmon <laughs> yeah Maybe you'll know, Calvin, what the sort of take was at the time. Obviously, the film was a big success, but I read this in the same way the GoldenEye. This bought them 10 years. This bought them four or five films. Like, mm. we're, we're good now for the next 10 years. Mm. Whereas, you know, a failure would... If, if this had come out and they'd messed it up, the actor was crap, whatever, was it dead? Was that it? I mean, could well have been, yeah. Um, I think, like you say, the, the first one with a new Bond is often the most important, because that does buy you the next three, four films on the goodwill of the audience who are going to come back and remember that one very fondly. Um, and I think a part of the problem of the Craig era is that they keep trying to sort of replicate this. We'll talk about that much more as we go into the next films, um, whenever that may be. Um, but you asked about um, reception at the time. Like, obviously, it was really good, like, well-reviewed and everything, and I think all of the sort of sentiments were the same of, like, oh, God, wow, the, it's a real step up in quality filmmaking terms. I personally, I was a bit... I think it's because it was so different. Like, I saw it in the cinema and I enjoyed it. It did take me a while to kind of come around to it because it was something so different. It's not like all of the others yeah. where you have more or less the same thing, just, you know, more updated for the times or whatever. But well, this is, it. like... You're completely... someone who actually likes that other other crap so this must have been a real shock uh it well i mean it's, 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 it's good, like when um but... i saw an interview with quentin tarantino recently and someone was saying you know obviously tarantino you love all uh these kind of schlocky tv references but now we're we've entered the kind of golden era of tv and tarantino got really like well you know i i i think it's a second golden era i, I think we had a golden era in, in the 70s I, I think that was a golden era as well and the guy was sort of like well 
I mean, come on, mate, it was shit, the TV back then. And he was like, well, you know, Bonanza. And and I think that's you, Calvin. I Charlie's think, Angels. Um, yeah, you're, you're <laughs> really into the the old stuff, but no one else is. And even Tarantino doesn't like Bond films. <laughs> this was the first time I ever watched it, last night. I watched it last night. And um, it's long, isn't it? <laughs> it? It's not the longest Bond film you will watch. Um, should we go through it? I made a lot of notes. I made far more notes than I typically do when we uh, make this podcast. So things do get off, like, it, it does tell you right off the bat that things are different this time. We have this, we don't have a gun barrel, and we have this black and white prelude of uh, yeah. Craig's version of the character earning his 007 status. By To earn a 00 status, you have to kill two people, and we Can see I, him uh, do that. What's that about? A, a quest- yeah, a question straight away. It's like that- joining a gang. And they make you kill a policeman. <laughs> is that what gang are you in, Sol? Did they make you kill a policeman? <laughs> I'm not saying because the other gang will attack me. <laughs> uh, yeah, can I ask Calvin? This has never been mentioned in the Bond films before, has it? That that's what you have to do. Double O is like one for each bullet hole. Um, I don't think it's been outrightly stated. It is in Fleming. Uh, but I don't think it is in the films, and if it no, is, it's it's tangentially. It's not like a focus. Um, they don't they don't really dwell usually on the murder aspect of it. You know, it happens yeah. in the cut yeah. and thrust yeah. of yeah. the spying mission, but mm. you know, really sort of it's kind of a tally chart. Yeah, it does seem a bit weird. I think it, but the 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 idea I get from this film is that we just need to be sure that you're a cold sociopathic killer <laughs> before yeah. we let you in the gang <laughs> so and, uh, yeah james bond proves himself worthy of that but it's it's weird isn't it because m doesn't seem keen on that aspect of him she kind of makes a few little digs about the fact that he's a bit of a sociopath well she has to just make sure he doesn't go too far she has to just keep pulling him back mm-hmm. but she needs that i say you need the cold-blooded killers but you also need to be able to you know do as i say Mm. I thought this opening was shit, and I've written opening flashbacks suck, not off to a good start. Oh no, Calvin! What did you what did you think was shit about it particularly? Uh, just it, like first, no, right, it's in black and white. Oh, because it's in <laughs> the past. Because the old days were in black and white, weren't they? Um, I thought I don't know. I I couldn't. I mean. Maybe it's not a fault of the film, but I couldn't hear the sound mix very well. I was struggling to hear the mumbling dialogue, and they, they the action just annoyed me. Just it, it was just put together in a way that I didn't care for. The way he like shoots that guy, and he like flies off, like does a backflip off his chair when he gets shot. It was just like stupid, and it was like I thought no, that might happen. Like what? Yeah, that, who's to say that's not ha- going to happen? Like, if you shot, like, you're only comparing it to pr- other movies where you've seen people. I know, be but shot. it was funny. It was a big fat man doing a backflip off his chair. It was really man. funny. It made me laugh. And there were several instances in this film where I made a noise, uh, which I've written down, and it was basically, <laughs> which was like a kind of particularly involuntary laugh that I generally it came at points that I don't think were supposed to be funny. I'll I'll point some others out as we go through. But yeah, I have to say, I really didn't like the opening. I did like, however, when the guy who's like sat in a load of toilet water on the floor reaches up to shoot Bond and Bond like spins around and it's the gun barrel sequence. Oh, you liked that? 
that's the first time the gun barrel sequence has ever been like cool or like <laughs> a natural fit and not just like a weird catwalk for an actor. Yeah, that is that. That's the first time it's actually been incorporated in organically, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. And exactly. it, and I wasn't expecting it. I thought it was really cool. I like that. It was like, oh, maybe this will be good. I mean, I love it. I I I don't know about Alan. I think it, I think the black and white's a good thing. I think it tells you that okay, this is something completely different. We're gonna carry on with things eventually. The fact that the first color that you see in the film is the blood coming down the gun barrel is really cool, and also that's the first color you normally see in a lot of Bond films anyway. Um, when it's the gun barrel sequence, so I like that it's keeping a continuity with that in a sense. But yeah, I think it's a it's a really good. It sets the tone because it's it's quite brutal. Uh, you know, and it's like, oh yeah, nice flashy quick cuts. We're gonna mm. we're gonna get some proper action in this film, and mm. you know, it really sets this new Bond character that we've got. I I don't think it sets the tone of the film very well, but I do think it makes a very clear statement of you know intent. Look, we're doing something completely brand new with this. Do not expect to see Pierce Brosnan hang gliding on icebergs with a skateboard made out of a briefcase or whatever fucking nonsense you you know used to and i think that 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 everything that you just said uh goes into the title sequence itself with the ah, song well. the visuals no more sort of scantily clad women it's mm. all this sort of rotoscoped uh action and the like yeah i mean i i really didn't like that opening black and white bit but i thought the opening titles were fantastic um mm. they are probably my favorite bond opening titles to date i do think the song is incredibly boring and just like just a real dirge it's just like um (laughs) and i was trying to come up with jokes about chris cornell but the fact that he killed himself made me think i better just leave it alone you know i don't want to go there i i I didn't know um i didn't recognize the name or the voice i didn't really know it was and I, i will say i have no idea how that song goes i couldn't give you a single note of it but just in the whole package. You know my it. name. Is that Rose how it goes? Casino Royale. <laughs> my name is not my name. You know my name. I've seen this diamond cut through Well, I thought that whole package of the opening sequence, you know, the animation all casino-y themed, you know, the playing card stuff, and I thought that was nice. The music worked with that, even though, you know, there was a, I noticed there was a couple of mentions in the lyrics of, like, gambling or, like, what are the odds or, and that sort of thing. So it all mm. tied in. I was mm. all right with that. It's really nice, and it's the first time I've seen one in a Bond film that really feels like there is a consistent vision behind it, as opposed to just throwing a load of like, oh, I've got this new effect on this bit of editing software. Do you think we can use that? What about if there's a load of diamonds floating around for no reason? That'd be good, wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> this this felt like, I'm, I mean, I'm not going so far as to say, but almost as if it was its own self-contained short film. It's that mm. degree of thought and filmmaking that's gone into it. And it's the same guy who did the last four, but the brief is different now. The brief is, let's do something very different, because the previous ones, mm. he's obviously doing a lot of emulation of the typical thing, whereas this is just like, nah, don't need any naked women. I didn't dislike the last four, though. You know, I, I found mm. a lot to like in those as well. 
but they're very 90s. This is the first time it's felt modern. Uh, well, then we get into the film proper. Uh, I'm going to talk about Act 1 in sort of broad terms here, because we are introduced to uh, the main villain, who's Le Chiffre, played by Ed Mads Mikkelsen, and we kind Le of Chiffre. get to sit... Le Chiffre. French for condom. Is it actually? No, of course it isn't, Calvin. No. <laughs> um, well, anyway, he, he's, he's basically like... All of this stuff with GameStop recently really made me helped me <laughs> sort of understand exactly what he's doing because I'll admit that I don't know stocks and shares <laughs> and all that kind of stuff. I don't know what he's doing, but he's essentially gambling with them and he's going to cause a disaster with this aeroplane and then he's going to make a lot of money. So this whole Act 1 is kind of about an hour of the film, I think, until Bond gets to uh, Montenegro yes. where he spends a lot of time with the Palmas. Um, In Madagascar, right, at the start? Of course. I mean, if you if you want to you want to send a couple of agents into Madagascar and be really inconspicuous, send a couple of white guys. That sounds like a good idea. <laughs> what would be a really good idea is to get your agent who's so poorly trained that he walks around like Dom Jolly and Trigger Happy TV going, "Hello, <laughs> what? Can you hear me?" With his hand on his ear. It's like we're, we're supposed to believe that he's a like professional super spies. No, he's like the he's like the intern that's had to go a lot. I know, to take but like even I know to be fucking inconspicuous. Like Jesus Christ, what a fucking dipshit! Well, you know, I'm gonna root for these guys. Well. Wait, so. was he, it was either that or hire a black man, Calvin uh, Sol. So what, what were they? What were they supposed to do? Well, I think um, you know, like he's obviously not a double O. Bond is a recent double O, uh, and I think that it's exactly what Alan says. I think this is just an inexperienced agent, and he kind of can't cope in this situation. And then that obviously gives the game away, and then we get a f- pretty fantastic action sequence, I dare say, uh, which I think does a lot to sort of make you like Craig's version of Bond, mm. seeing him be so brutal. And it tells a story as it goes along, which is really cool. He's chasing this free runner who in real life is like this really, uh, I think he might have even christened the uh, the term free running or, or whatever it is. That... It's not to say I'm a, a huge, huge fan, but yeah. Well, I love that it, it tells a story. It's like, it's not just action for action's sake. It's, you know, we're getting a sense of yeah. Bond's character through it as well as he's definitely a blunt instrument. He's a fucking tit who, when he sees a guy running away, he thinks, oh, you know, I'm just going to steal that bulldozer. That's faster than running. And it will, of course, be bulletproof because bulldozers are built to withstand gunfire. And then he plows the bulldozer through the fence and a load of, like, building materials laid out and just makes a big mess causes an international incident when he could have just chased the guy a bit more like he was doing <laughs> are you are you channeling the character of m for this review is that what because i feel like you're just sort of almost verbatim doing the dialogue from a scene we're going to get very soon <laughs> well it, it, it was fucking ridiculous though it's what was he trying to achieve it was he was absurd. trying to catch him and he you know you're not going to catch someone in a bulldozer it's one of the slowest vehicles in the world you are pointing out, like, deliberate character flaws that the film is aware of. Like, it, it touches on these things. What, the James like, Bond's not... a tit? I, I mean, I guess um, that is a flaw, actually, isn't it? Yeah, you're right. Well, yeah. But he's meant to be smart, <laughs> isn't he? And it doesn't seem like a smart thing to do. Um, well, yeah. I mean, you're, you're, you're saying all the things that are intended, so it's... I thought this scene was really great. I, I, I really like the action of it. Obviously, it's, again, it's, it's being filmed in a totally different style. It's nice, quick cuts, all that flashy stuff, but still 
uh, enough so that we can see what's going on. I hadn't fallen into that kind of later born territory where you just can't see what's going on. And also just some really great genuine physical stunts as people jumping off cranes and stuff. And it's mm. it really feels real. You know, the the wig on the stuntman isn't too bad. It's okay, you know. <laughs> it, it's and but it, it feels like real proper practical effects. I'm sure there's some digital touch-ups and everything, but, you know, of its era, really great stuff. I could have taken three or four minutes off it. You know, you're right, you're running around, we get it. But it has these layers. It has the parkour bit. Then we have the embassy bit. My, I, my favourite bit, really nice. talking about layers, my favourite bit was when James Bond just runs through a bit of drywall as if it's... Uh, I do love I th- that. I think that was an homage to his Japanese roots, and he wasn't quite used to the fact that walls aren't made out of paper. <laughs> oh, very good, yeah. But that's I another point that. where I just went, because huh! the film made me laugh, <laughs> caught me off guard. That's supposed to be funny. Like that's, He's double hard, that's it. He's a double hard bastard, isn't he? That's a joke. Like, the other guy just, like, slinks through the top so, like, seamlessly, and then he just, like, bursts through. Like, that's a, that is a laugh moment. I know, I, I, th- I think it could have been structured as a better joke in that you know for me for that to work as a proper joke rather than just a what the fuck moment it would have needed to uh, a beat where bond kind of thinks am i gonna do that nah you know that like when indiana jones is confronted with the sword fighter and shoots him uh, i don't know that that would have made bond too self-aware i think it's good that he mm. doesn't really think about it he's just he is just sort of you know charging through leaving all this destruction in his wake. Uh, I I quite like that. I like this scene as well, but I will say that this is probably the most famous part of this film that I'd had built up for me going in. Hmm. And it didn't live up to what I was expecting from it. I wasn't blown away. But yeah, it was a solid action scene, and I enjoyed it, and it was well-constructed. But I wasn't like, oh my god, this is incredible, this is the best thing I've ever seen. Okay. And it felt I've I've seen better use of parkour even in films since, but it was good. That's pretty good going for Bond. It was it was like acceptable. That's that's a that's the high bar for Bond, really, isn't it? Mm-hmm. So. Well, then after this, like again, just sort of this film, it sort of has uh, three main action set pieces, and that's kind of one of them. We get we have a lot of talking and stuff uh, until the next bi- uh, big sequence at the uh, airport. We reintroduced to Judy Dench's M, who is the only cast holdover playing the same character. I, well, same character in name only, I would say. I think she's very different compared to the Pierce Brosnan M, who was much it's a code more. Name. <laughs> uh, did, were you notice, noticing that? Like, they're very much leaning much more into the sort of angry mother figure here. I mean, I'll be honest, I forgot she was even in the other ones, so it was just. Well, well, I mean, I mean, is that a good thing? Like, because um, is she just, like, standing out more here well, as a character? Well, I, I, I liked her here, and I, I made the note, M chewing out Bond about fucking time. Like you say, she really <laughs> was kind of vocalising some issues I was having with the film in a way that was like, okay. <laughs> it was, it's almost postmodern Bond at one point. Yeah, yeah, they really yeah, yeah. are. We're acknowledging all this old Bond-style stuff and going, that's just not on. But I, I, I think not. in one of the Pierce Brosnan films, she calls him a... You know, an outdated dinosaur or something to that effect, and they a sexist, kind of... misogynist dinosaur. Yes, in Goldeneye. Yeah, they flirt with this, but they didn't go all the way with it, and here they did. It was a proper mm. sort of "you fucking idiot, what do you think you are doing?" Here is why <laughs> what you just did is stupid. But I didn't know if I was meant to be on her side or his. That was sort of an issue there. Uh, was I meant to be rooting uh, for him? Like, shut up, em. Or um, I, 
no, I don't I think... know either. It's, I think yeah. it's it, you don't have to be on anyone's side. It's she's she's making fair comment, but yeah, life isn't black and white. You know, bonds up, bond in the in the field. And he has to make decisions. You know, mm. yeah. but also you, that's the that's the thing about this kind of the dichotomy of the M character. She needs him out there doing the kind of reckless stuff. But she she also needs to be able to cut him loose when it goes too far. Like yeah, he's expendable. Chief, that's the whole point. Chief of police character getting mad at the buddy cops when they knock yeah, over a exactly, fruit cart yeah, yeah. downtown. Which we have had before with M's. Uh, sometimes a little bit softer. Sometimes a little bit harsher with, with him. It's pronounced M. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> but it's often like contained to one scene, and Bond comes in and is all the smarmy playboy, and M's like, "Oh, you idiot!" and go off and do this thing. Here, it's sort of sustained throughout the the film, uh, which I think is really great, uh, particularly because Judy Dench is a great actress, and I think the rewriting of the character is uh, to the benefit of this whole relationship, and because there's no money, Penny, there's no Q, there's no Colin mm. Salmon. Uh, she's the only one, really. Is there no money, Penny? Because when Eva Green turns up, she says, I'm the money, and he goes, every penny of it. <gasps> I've never thought about that, but you're... Is that... A, oh, wow. Huh. <laughs> You've blown Calvin's mind. <laughs> you have? That's a new thing that I hadn't considered, but I wonder if that was intended as like... A, it has to be, like, right? A little bit For of wordplay humour. Does, does money Penny turn up in, in a future film? Does she get Not going to spoil it for you. Well, if she does, <laughs> yeah, she does. Bond, Bond's going to be all flirty with her because he's thinking back to that line with uh, Eva Green. Mm. That's that's like programmed it in for him right here. But that's it. Yeah, if she's the money penny, then she spoiler alert, she dies. Uh, so they need a new money penny. So in the like, later <laughs> films, someone else, isn't it? Well, they have Code this name. guy. Um, they have Tobias Menzies, who's playing M's assistant. Villiers is his name. Um, he doesn't really make much of an impression. There are a few MI6 people in here, but uh, I liked him. I, I thought he him, did a actually, nice yeah. little job of, of a little role okay. where he was just, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. there's that little bit of friction. He's the he's the gatekeeper, so he's got a little bit of power. Hmm. He, he 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 had the energy of a good supporting Rafe Spall character. You know, he can go yeah, either way, right, Rafe Spall, yeah. when you're watching him. And it was like, oh, this guy's like a good one. Well, I, I think it's interesting because they did make a big song and dance when this film came out about, like, no cue, no money, Penny, we're wiping the slate clean. They were using the justification at the time of, like, oh, well, they're not in the book, so or they're not big in the book anyway, so um, we don't uh, need them here. Um... At the time, I remember sort of being a little bit, well, Moneypenny could have been this character, and there's a guy later on who's going to put a, a chip in Bond so that they can track him. And I was like, well, that could have been Q. But in hindsight, I think it's completely the right decision, because if they're establishing a new Bond, they would have needed to, to re-establish those relationships as well. I, I, I'm glad. It's okay. I think it's like, okay, we're making a clean slate. Let's get the basics done. We don't have to worry about all that stuff yeah. yet. We can pull that in later where we figure out what we do. Hey, look, they're going to be popping one of these sequels out every other year, if not every year. <laughs> so they're going to have plenty of opportunities to uh, to play with this. It's can, I, can I ask you guys, um, that first scene with Bond and M where he breaks into a house and all that. Yes. Mm. I was just thinking, God, these guys need to fuck already. There was a definite sexual chemistry there going on, wasn't there? Was it, um, was it just me? Because you, you can't. I mean, you you stated it as more of an angry mother character, but I I definitely got. I don't think they'd ever go all the way. Tension. I think she. I think no, she no, would no, like no, no. belittle She's him while he masturbates. <laughs> God. <laughs> oh no. She's too professional. He'd do it, but you know he she knows better. 
But I, I definitely got that from that, and it was great. Like that is what happens when you get good actors, isn't it? It's like proper chemistry on screen. Mm. And you could mm. the the tension between them was palpable. It it gave so much more to that scene. Mm. And like you say, it's it's quite. A, there's a lot of really nice gray areas in that. Like, does she approve of what he's doing or not? Does he know that he's done wrong, or is he just like, eh, come on, I did what I had to do, shove it? Yeah, I think it's a really nice scene. Mm. No, I love it. Um, and then, he, well, he gets sent off to the Bahamas, and he's doing all this snooping around. He's following up the lead. I liked it when he. I liked it when the um, the the old white man assumes he's like the carpool guy, <laughs> mm. uh, because obviously a hotel in the Bahamas would have a white guy working on the carpool. <laughs> Makes perfect sense. <laughs> <laughs> but there is a white receptionist, of course, obviously mm. to make the old white people mm. feel more comfortable. When he when he gets there, there's a shot where two women kind of turn around and go hello and kind of take him in and i just mm, thought like fucking sexy bastard i know why. well i know daniel craig's like a decent looking guy right but is he that attractive that women would turn heads like that in the street i think he's attractive in a very rugged way and obviously mm. he's got the physique he's got his tight linen shirt on so i think it's a certain type yeah i don't doubt a lot of women would fancy him but there's a world of difference between that and two women both walking past and like making eyes that blatantly that's a whole different yeah level, but they're on, they're on island time aren't they it's yeah, not I like guess. they're uh, probably five five uh mamit- what are they called not <laughs> mojito <laughs> no what's mimosas. the mimosas that's the one the morning drink they're about five mimosas in they're on an endless bottomless brunch <laughs> well i i actually don't think they lean into that like this is bond like roger moore walks into a you know a room and we're supposed to believe that all the women there are sort of like just like panting over him yeah but that's um, that's a exactly, stupid element of dumb James it, Bond yeah. movies, and I thought we were doing away with that in this like reboot. I think they put it there so that we kind of understand why, and I think they do it in a really nice, subtle way, actually, when he's sort of getting uh, information out of the receptionist. Now, that I liked, because yes. I, I made the note here that like this is the first time Bond has actually been able to flirt with a woman. My God. It, it, was, it was like really <laughs> nice bit of charisma... He was charming. We've never seen that before, ever. Yeah. Normally, it's like a pervy old man <laughs> leching at some twenty-year-old who's like creeped out. Well, I think I think that's just it. I think it is done really well because there is a moment where the receptionist looks up at him and she's definitely like, "Oh, hello!" Like, it, but it's yeah. not overdone. Like in Roger Moore's era, we would generally ha- genuinely have women like speechless at the sight of him, and they're not doing that here. And I think it's just like. I think they get really good actors in these tiny little bit parts. Like I think mm. there's a in in the card game coming up next. There's a woman who's uh, the dealer, uh, and she's a yeah, middle aged yeah. woman. But I think she's just playing it so well, and I think she actually was a professional dealer. I was going to ask that she it, but... she reeks of being an actual card dealer that they've brought in for a little bit part. Mm. But again, just like these little nothing parts that I just think they just cast really well. And yeah. I, I, with these memorable faces, they've got personality, even though they don't have much character to display on, on screen with the dialogue. But mm. um, I, I like it. This is the uh, the first card scene of the thing, which kind of, uh, obviously, there's going to be Ooh. a huge chunk of the film. Oh, go on, Sol. Well, <sighs> you're going to say the same thing as me. Why would you bet on a pair of kings when you've got an ace on the flock? Well, not even that. I just... The, the the thing here is like it's like Bond, it's like Bond wins this hand by being lucky. Do you know what I mean? He happens to have the best cards yeah. in the game, 
Well, this obviously comes up later on as well. The the idea that he's like such a great psychological player of people that he can he's good at poker, which is obviously a big advantage in the game of poker. But yeah, when when it comes down to it, he doesn't bluff Lashifra at the end. He just has the best hand. But that's what I mean, and it's it's so much more interesting to see him use some skill to but achieve the, the problem is as a character in, in that. When you knock someone out in a game of poker, when you, when you know you take everything, you have to have the hand because the whole point is like, they're all in, you've got to show what you got. So that big ending moment, you've got to have it to back up. All the bluffing comes earlier when you're kind of just scraping them off, you know, taking the top off. So, you know, it doesn't translate well to a dramatic scene. And so mm. you have to have this kind of climactic moment. I get that. I'll tell, I'll tell you what the problem I had was. I, when I watched it, as I watched it, I thought like, oh, that was cool. But then it like immediately left me cold, and I was like, mm, "Pretty wonky writing, that actually." Are you talking about the um, the the fine the climax um, card game? Not yeah. the, not this previous one where he gets his Aston Martin. No, it is this one, isn't it? Where he gets the Aston Martin, and he's just oh, got yes. like a pair of aces. And I and I did have a lot of issues with the writing surrounding the subsequent card game as well. And I think they're also very aware that they might be, you know, people might not necessarily know how to play poker, and a layman like me knows that an ace is better than a king. Well, so yeah, that I... that is why they, of course, have a character sat next to another character in the subsequent card scenes who literally says lines like, look, it's the tell, and <laughs> Bond will have to go all in to call his bluff. Um, just so that we know exactly what's happening. Yeah. And like, I don't know how to play poker, but I can follow the fucking broad strokes of a cinematic card game. I understand why they have to do that. But yeah, I, the whole tell thing is annoying because, mm. you know, if your fucking tell is, oh, I rub my rub my head and stroke my belly at the same time every time yeah. I've got a good hand. <laughs> but not even that, it's so telegraphed, so obvious that it's not that he's playing him and it's like a pretend tell like the i don't know there's no tension or um ambiguity about what's about to happen let's let's save that discussion for when we get to that bit of the yeah because um we're kind of leading into the uh the big action sequence first at the bodies exhibit and then at the airport but first we have bond winning his aston martin db5 which is a bit of a continuity sort of uh i guess they feel like they have to give bond the aston martin db5 because it's so attached to his character because throughout the rest of the film he's driving a ford car yes <laughs> i think that the, i mean a point the one one of the points of the film is that we see bond pick up the little bits of what make him the bond that we know from the previous films during this one and that's mm. one of them this sort of alcoholism of fancy cars um but he does meet with solange um and has a little love scene with her how did you feel that was playing just i'm in- interested to know what you two think of this going on from what you were saying about craig's bond um with the extras and the receptionist We've talked about chemistry and stuff like that. This this scene, the whole sexy bit, was left me a little bit cold. I, it mm. didn't feel like two people who were like actually had chemistry, but the characters aren't either. They've just met, and they're obviously just up for a shag. She's obviously just trying to wind up her husband or whatever he is. So mm. uh, perhaps that is fitting that it was a bit awkward and they were just doing their best in the situation. Mm. Do you not think she could do a bit better in that situation? Probably. What, than Daniel Craig? <laughs> well, I mean, have you seen everyone else at that hotel? I don't mm, think, I mean... No. Were they all just rich, old, crusty white men, I guess? So, yeah. 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 
Well, he is. I mean, I think Alan just summed it up perfectly. With he's rugged. Like I don't think of him as traditionally handsome. Like Pierce Brosnan is just an incredibly stereotypically handsome man, but Daniel Craig has that kind of rugged charm in a similar way to what Connery had in the sixties. That I don't think mm. we've seen since him really. Anyway. This does lead into a huge action sequence, uh, all going through the airport and everything. Um, I love all this stuff. How did you guys feel about it? Well, I did think when they were at the bodyworks thing, I was thinking, wouldn't Gunter von Hagen's make a great Bond villain? Yes, he really would. <laughs> he's just got the he's got the accent for it. <laughs> it's, it's a bit put on the accent though, isn't it? The hat, you know, they always have a thing. The Bond villains, his is a hat. <laughs> well, which weirdly, actually, you know, all the villains always have something kind of a bit odd, you know, like Doctor No has no hands and all that sort of thing. So with Le Chiffre, it's it's asthma. <laughs> and I did make the note: has has asthmatic Bond finally found his match? <laughs> <laughs> that was weird. I, I I I just kept waiting for that to pay off. Well, yeah, all it was was for that tracking device, wasn't it? Yeah, that was all it was. There's never any dialogue mentioning it or like talking about you know strength coming from adversity like going through adversity and chat like i don't know it just it just felt like such a weak tangent just left in the fit it was like we need to give him some personality uh well he's asthmatic and he's got a scar well, I think that's exactly. fine. I don't. I don't need everything to be explained. I don't need to know how you he do got the because scar when Alan came up with asthmatic or... bond on this podcast, you criticised <laughs> it for just being an out of breath man. <laughs> <laughs> There's so much more to it than that. <laughs> okay, I have a feeling Saul's going to complain about Bond um, killing the guy in the middle of this crowd. No, I thought it played really well. That's exactly the kind of interesting dynamic I want in a film like this. Just a little oh, cool. set piece, I guess. But it's it's hmm. more than just what follows, which is you know a, a basically a big car chase and in a. I'll tell you area. what though, I've I've been to the Bodyworks exhibition and you they have glass around everything, so you can't yeah. touch it. You certainly can't be dropping stuff on the chips. Right, I've been three times. I've been in Las Vegas, Berlin, and London, All right, sure. and in. Uh, in a couple of them, you could definitely... There was no glass. Um, I think it was in Berlin. But you have glass in London. Then, Bloody British don't... Museum London regulations <laughs> that we have to deal with, Alan. Um, but yeah, no, I, I love that whole thing. It, it's a great sequence and a great place to have this. Um, it, I guess it's product placement. It doesn't feel like product placement. I don't know about that. It, it does. That does feel like something, you know, it was uh, particularly back then, it was a bit more new and it was this mm. really cool thing, a, a really yeah. visceral, visual thing. And it's like, that's exactly the sort of thing where if I'm a Bond producer... Yeah, you know, I'm just like, going to go contact this can, guy. Yeah, I, I can pay stuff, whatever you want. We'll movie. do whatever. Mm. This is cool. It's yeah. great visuals. Do you think they uh, did the same thing to get Richard Branson in the film? <laughs> did you notice that? <laughs> what was he doing? Did they did they use a virgin plane for the airport scene? Did they was use a virgin the plane? Did you miss the gigantic uh, jumbo jet that flies by with the virgin at one point very so. prominently? Yeah. Apparently I did, yeah. Um. I, I was thinking, though, you know when Bond does stab that guy in the museum? Mm? How come he didn't say, you've been a real pain in my side? Well, sort of smirk. Maybe in a previous incarnation he would, but this is not that Bond. So. Okay. He should have flayed him alive. That's that's would have been more appropriate for the set. <laughs> well, I left him on display, and no one would realize yeah. it wasn't. Bond. And no one realized until it started smelling a couple of days later. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that'd be good. The guy packs him up. 
how come all my my exhibitions won't fit in the bu- in the bag? So you brought them here with. Um, but yeah, the the airport action scene itself, it was fine. It did make me think, like, I think this is probably what Calvin and Alan get out of a Marvel movie when you guys watch... Well, when it's like, yeah, we get it, you could have cut this ten minutes When ago. you watch it and it's like, yeah, this is well made, it's fine, but I just don't care. <laughs> Do you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. It's just that sort of like, eh, whatever. I'm not invested in anything happening at this point. It didn't help. Like, I, I couldn't care less about any of the story at this point. Um, I was still very much engrossed, but I know, I think I know what you're getting at. It's kind of quite a prolonged sequence. It's a bit... It's a bit too similar to that opening parkour sequence in that it's just, you know, chasey, chasey, chasey. But obviously there's more cars involved. Uh, the the actual bad guy, we have no yeah, nothing know... from him at all, yeah. which is obviously <clears throat> deliberate. But in the same way that the parkour guy never speaks, you know, at least he was showing some emotions. So I think we don't have a very personal thing going mm. on there. And we kind of get like, yeah, he's going to bomb something or destroy a plane or something. But th- there's not an obvious kind of end goal that we know we're reaching, yeah. if you know what I mean? Hmm. I, I did sort of find myself flagging during it, and then I, I stopped and I thought, just imagine it's a Terminator. Imagine that guy's a Terminator. and, and it did Well, that's because make... he's doing it like Robert Patrick. Yeah, it, did, it made the film a lot better, and... though. It's like, yeah, you, you know what? If this guy was a killer robot from the future, this would be cool. Well, at this point, I mean, th- this is like to tide us over for the next, like, well, pretty much an hour and 15 minutes or whatever until we get to a, a next big action sequence. Don't tie me over. Um... Just give, give me a whole movie of people playing poker that's fine yeah you're right i think that maybe that's why i like this one more because they don't have as much action nonsense well no i mean they're very conscious of that and they're conscious that an audience expect this from a bond film mm. so there are really only three big action sequences this is the second one it's going to be yeah. the house in venice at the end that's the next I, I i did find that very noticeable when i watched it it was surprising how little action there was how so much of the film is people sat around a table talking and i don't i don't mean that in a bad way i like that i i like I say, you could take this airport scene out and I'd probably like the film more. I, I did find it weird, actually, that Bond, after he killed that guy in the airport, didn't say, talk about a crash course in spy work. And then just sort of, like, walk away. Oh, it's plain to see what happened here. <laughs> I'd watch him if I were you. He's gonna blow up. That's that's too literal, isn't it? That's like, a, like a guy's about to explode. Look up. <laughs> So, um, Judy Dench is lucky. She gets to go out on location to the Bahamas in this one. Bond meets up with her back there. She was, uh, she was doing an episode of Death in Paradise at the same time. They just, <laughs> they just tied it in with that. Uh, ben Miller coming across on the set. Ben Miller plays... Ben Miller uh, as Boff. Plays K- from yeah, as Boff comes in. <laughs> well, we next... Uh, head to Montenegro, which is sort of the start of the second act of the film. Um, which is this I think on the takes train? To Venice. Yes. And we, we're an hour in yep. when we get introduced to uh, the main uh, Stephanie Broadchest woman. Yes. <laughs> Vespa Lind played by Eva Green. Okay, so, Alan, you talked about chemistry earlier on. Do you feel that that carries over mm. to Daniel Craig and Eva Green? Not as much as he had with Judy Dench. I think mm. this this is really good film, uh, you know, chemistry. Uh, I think it's good acting. It doesn't, but it doesn't have that kind of free son as like, oh, I think there's actually some genuine chemistry here going on. I wonder what will happen behind the scenes. I definitely get mm. that with Judy Dench. The whole way through, <laughs> I kept thinking like, hmm, I wonder if she was sleeping with Tim Burton yet. Like, that's what I was thinking. So I don't think they quite had the chemistry to the degree that would have been nice, but... Well, do I mean, you like the character? Like, 
this is a very different kind of Bond girl, um, really. Yeah. I felt like she was basically the same character as M, but in a way that the filmmakers weren't like consciously doing it. Like she basically, <laughs> she basically looks at Bond and says, "Like, look, you're a dick. Here's why. One, two, three, X, Y, Z. Let's move on, shall we?" Well, yeah, but that's because that's what you need as a as a counteraction to to Bond. This Bond. So yeah, there has to be similarities, but she's coming at it from a different level. Where M has authority, she has less so upon him. Plus, there's this sexual frisson between them, much more consciously, I think, or certainly much more attainable. Love this scene. This was Paul Haggis's big contribution to the thing. This dialogue. Yeah, it's very. This was a very again just could have been done three minutes shorter. But yeah, all dialogue. But it was nice to see that in a Bond film and. Yeah, hmm. it felt like yeah they were playing with each other. They were toying. It was good. You could tell they were. Uh... It's it's nice to have a bit of actual building to them shagging, you know, or, or falling hmm. in love even at this point. Whereas previously in Bond film, it's it's very much like oh I don't love should we shag yeah all right. It's, hmm. it's like there's nothing to it, and they don't make the effort to uh, to build that. Hmm. So they did. They made the effort, and it worked. Paid off. Yeah. No, I I agree. I mean, I love this scene. Um, and I think the chemistry between them is is really great and kind of beyond, um, yeah, certainly what we've seen in the last few Bond films, uh, chemistry-wise. I love this character, though. I think she's terrific, and we'll see her yeah. have quite a long shadow throughout Daniel Craig's tenure as Bond, but more on that in the future. Again, it's amazing what happens when you hire decent actors, isn't it? Hmm. But yeah, as you sort of alluded to there, she's not a Bond girl. She is not just a throwaway floozy. She is actually has personality and a bit of spunk about her, mm. which is fairly rare. They've kind of played with that before, and they have the occasional spunky woman. But um, yeah, it's probably 10% of Bond girls actually have any kind of anything about them. Well, I mean, I, I like a, a lot more of them than you do. Um, but, I, you know, I, I appreciate that this is a different level. This is a whole different game. A whole different... Yeah. And she's going to be with us for the rest of the film, really. So this relationship's fairly key and central. Anyway, whole big chunk in Montenegro now. So it, it's a lot of the card game, and then it's back and forth with uh, the various antics that go on. We meet Mathis, Bond's ally there. How did this all play for you? I'm getting the sense that you guys maybe liked this more than you liked some of the action stuff. I mean, conceptually, I, I certainly did. I, right. the, the actual poker stuff, I don't know if that particularly grabbed me or anything like that. Um, yeah. I, I, I It worked in the sense that I understood what was going on and the, the tension was building and stuff like that, but I don't I don't find poker to be very dramatic in that sense. Yeah. I mean, the other players must have assumed... Bond had the shits or something, because he is up and down, and he comes back in a right old state. He changes his shirt all the time. God knows what he's doing in that bathroom. I thought when, when Mads Mikkelsen says, oh, you've changed your shirt, I thought he was going to be like, yeah, look, I'm shagging her. And, you know, because the whole thing was he was trying to make a point of being with Ava Green and, like, going off and snogging her and stuff so they could all see. But instead he just says, like, yeah, and you cry blood, you fucking freak, and just you know, he just gave his like cover up right away. It's just really I do, that that's that's the sort of thing that doesn't quite play. Like, like Bonds Bonds is a great poker player, and he's a psychological expert, and he's going to outplay all these people. His major tactic is, oh, I'm going to get a fit bird in tight dress, and all lads will be looking at her, and they won't be able like they'll drop their cards because they'll be so surprised. Why well, isn't a Sean Bean double O impression? He's double O. That's that's how Sean Bean would have handled the situation. Yeah. 
Well, I, I think that in a way, this is a bit of a, a holdover, maybe from the Fleming book as well that I'm uh, that I'm bringing in here. But uh, they don't play poker in that. I think it's baccarat that they play. Yeah, nobody understands that, what baccarat is. Since that would make 1967. sense. <laughs> He's the composer. In that book, it's kind of... Bond is just... like They select him for the assignment because he's just naturally gifted. He's just a good card player. He has a lot of luck, and that's why M's like, right, well, you're just good at cards for some reason, so go and do it. Here, I suppose, they try to quantify it a bit more in a way, and I don't know if that really works. I like the stuff that we get with Eva Green in some of these interludes as well. You do get a sense that she's kind of falling for him. Um, after they've had their whole fight sequence in the staircase and she's showering and he goes in and um, comforts her. I know Saul's going to talk about the fingers. Isn't that what Army Hammer got in trouble for? <laughs> no, that was feet. <laughs> I, what was that about? The sucking the fingers. That is weird. Like I, we've never seen any hint of James Bond being remotely kinky before. Um, <laughs> it's not until I mean, obviously, you get more of it in this, but we'll. It's get supposed to, that in a bit. to be a bit of a more tender moment, I think, um, and I think it's nice. Like I, I'm glad that they did that instead of him just going in and stroking a hair, and um, it gives the scene a little bit of a extra something. You could have contracted something. <laughs> got it's got blood all over hands. <laughs> uh, this it it was a it was a bit of a weird thing, but I kind of liked it. It just seemed so out of place in a Bond film. If this had been a little indie drama, uh, that it would have worked in a kind of like it just seemed like a a kind of quite a real, if slightly weird. I don't thing think it to would. Do. I think it it reminded me of in whatever Zack Snyder DC movie it is where they try and give Superman a bit of personality so he just gets into the bathtub with Lois Lane fully clothed and your men think how quirky and charming it was just like I don't just quite think it's supposed to be quirky and charming I know I know what you mean though like who gets in the shower fully clothed it's it's ridiculous like even if you even if you just want to get clean and you feel dirty just take the clothes off first come on she was supposed to be unclothed during this but they decided during filming that I think I think yes. taste and decency I don't well, mind that cuz she is aware that Bond might burst in any minute and she doesn't want to be all naked because she knows what he's like. He's got a yeah, reputation. Yeah, he he's like, he can't. Busy hands. M probably took her aside before they started this assignment and said, try and not be left in a room alone with him, if you can help it. <laughs> he's never been formally charged with anything, so we can't do anything about it. But there have been a few words said. <laughs> um, I mean, I, I like it. I, I think you get that she is traumatised because of the stairwell fight with Bond yeah. and the... Um, Drug lord, whatever he is, uh, who's after the Shifra for the money. Warlord. What is he? He's not a warlord. Well, he's obviously the leader of some sort of militia. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And I think th- I think that that's good. And I d- I do like what they're doing with her here. And I think it it goes to show that they you know that in some of the Brosnan ones they certainly always try to make the Bond women sort of go toe to toe with him. And it's a lot of smarminess between them. It's like oh I I'm your match, Mister Bond. And they're not trying to do that here with her. And I think that's wise. I prefer that. The whole thing with her being vulnerable, I yeah, I agree, Calvin. I think that works. You, you don't need her to be a kick-ass agent, um, field agent. But the the whole shower bit that where she's suddenly very traumatized and then she snaps out of it, kind of thing. It it just hmm. felt like that scene was a little bit too slopped in, where everything else didn't come. And like later on, she gets tortured. And I appreciate a bit of time passes before the next time we see her, and we don't actually see what happens in terms of torture. But 
feels like she should be traumatized by that. Do you know what I mean? There should be some like slightly mm. more longer term trauma going on here that we're still getting a feel of. But mm-hmm. I feel like that's quite nitpicky, you know, like for a Bond film, she has emotions. That's pretty good. Yeah. Mm. Oh, what about the the car crash bit? What about that? That's oh, well, an, an, oh, hang well, on. Does he get poisoned before that or after? I can't. Yes. What did you make of that sequence? Felt unnecessary. See, I used to be of that frame of mind as well, and I, I felt like you could just snip out this ten minutes. Um, yeah. I agree. I think you, that it could come out completely, and you wouldn't even know because he has no after effects whatsoever. And it it does push credulity a little far in a, in a film where I'm pretty lax with my credulity you know i I do let it go because that's the nature of the project well i think that that whole thing just on that thing with him being poisoned it is supposed to be more of a vespa moment like i think it's supposed to sort of solidify her in our mind as like oh she is really on his side she's gonna keep him alive and all this kind of stuff just so that we do kind of we don't expect it later on or at least that's how it was sort of positioned to me because i for years i I did think this whole sequence was like meh just snip it out i don't need it but I, i think it does work there and i do like all the intercuts with m and stuff and there's some boffins at mi6 who were trying to help him um yeah i i get that actually yeah that it does yeah it sets vesper up as we know she's definitely on his side or whatever mm. and it was one of those things where i was just like lashifra is just trying to kill him why doesn't he just have somebody like you know chop his head off with a machete like around the back when he goes for a fag or whatever but yeah, it's just it felt a bit too on the nose in terms of I'm going to try and kill you. The whole thing where we have in every Bond film where he goes in and goes, oh, I'm James Bond. And the villain goes, oh, James Bond, you're a spy. And they kind of go toe to toe in that sense where like, oh, mm. I know what you're really here for, but I'm so big headed. I think I'm going to beat you anyway. And then just trying to kill him just so blatantly was, mm. I don't know. Just And then he just comes back and he's like, oh, tried to kill me. Didn't you? Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> this is what I mean. Conceptually, I think that would could be done really nicely but yeah i just didn't respond to it here particularly which is weird because you know i I do really like mads mickelson and hannibal is one of his obvious other credits um Mm. the tv series and you know that that's the sort of thing he does every week on hannibal excellent Mm. scenes of like i know what you are but i can't quite come out and say it and you know who i am and so yeah it just felt like such a it was inferior to hannibal a cancelled tv show (laughs) You say that as if, like, cancellation is... This is going back to your whole cultural significant <laughs> argument. It's like, just because it was cancelled does not mean it is not good. Yeah, uh, it's very good. We haven't talked about Felix Leiter yet, um, Jeffrey Wright. Do either of you have any thoughts on him, or does he just kind of fade into the background? He's Bond's mate that Bond was best man for or something, right? Yes. Yes. He's put on a bit of weight since then. Yeah. <laughs> so I, w- when I heard the name, I was like, oh, they're going to be buddies. This is the start of a beautiful relationship, I suppose. I like Jeffrey Wright. That character as it is, is so sort of small that it does mm. just feel like it's popped in. You're like, oh, you know, we'll give you the money. And it works on that level. I think that's obviously the service level. For the fans who it's like, oh, Felix Leiter. Ooh. <laughs> like, I know how you must have had a little funny turn, Calvin. <laughs> First time you saw that. And obviously... I know ahead that they bring that character back as a, you know, a connection in America, you know? Mm, mm. So obviously it pays off later. But I think just in terms of this film, it is a it is a nice little small, you know, just chuck that in. It's a little detail. I assume they hired a, a good actor on the basis they, they at least suspected they'd bring him back. Yep. 
no, definitely that was all very conscious, and uh, I'm, I'm surprised that you liked him as much. I mean, I, I do. I don't think he has all that much to do here, but I think he's got good personality, and he's kind of... Yeah. Nice chemistry with Craig. You can kind of see that this is the start of their friendship. It's very much going back to the novel as well. Like, this is similar to how they meet in the book. I do like at that point Bond has resorted to, I'm going to stab Mads Mikkelsen in the neck. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Why? He's always just wants to kill everybody. What's wrong with him? <laughs> yes, yes. Well, I like how arrogant he is. I love that they give him a cover name and he just doesn't bother to use it because he's got this whole thing in his mind about like, oh, well, they're already probably going to know who I am anyway, so what's the point? And by going in with it and not assuming the cover name, I'm telling them something else and all that kind of stuff. I, I do like all of that. You see, this this is where I want him to be properly undercover. He's like, hello, I'm James Beecher. And he's got like a big <laughs> thick glasses on. Like, yeah, I was hired by the syndicate. I'm very good at poker. And uh, doing all that kind of thing. Because, you know, obviously the idea is it's a high stakes poker. Everyone's a bit fancy. But... <laughs> yes. Someone's hired a, a professional poker player to come and be the ringer, you know. Yes, yes. What they should have done is given him plastic surgery to look like a native Montenegro person, <laughs> and then he goes in. <laughs> and... I don't know. Montenegrins look all that different. <laughs> James Bond. <laughs> Ding um... dong. <laughs> <laughs> oh no. Who is it? Hello. It's Uruguayan Bond. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so I love that Bond wins all the money, he takes Vesper out for a fancy meal, but then she's kidnapped. Cheeky so. Nando's. <laughs> <laughs> I like that when he won, he gave the, the dealer a million dollar tip. Oh, that's such a nice little detail, isn't it? That's I a pretty good job that. of it. I do assume that that will be shared out between the rest of the, you know, not <laughs> the dealers and kind of just the other staff that are there, you know, it must, uh, it must, it must, there must be some sort of procedure for that. Because otherwise you just quit, wouldn't you, after you've done like three jobs? Yeah, yeah. I'd tip a million dollars if it's someone else's money. <laughs> Again, that's another, like that dealer, like I think they did get a proper dealer. I think they were trying to train an, an actor to do it, but the, you know, the real life dealers are just so much better. There's and... a smoothness to it. Oh, I, I do mm. like how they, <laughs> when they do the big reveal at the the climactic finish, how he keeps moving the cards like, go, oh, look, it's a pair of aces and, a, and three fours and like puts them all on. It's like you wouldn't move the cards around like that. <laughs> that is not, yeah, yeah. certainly yeah. not what you would do. But, uh, but yeah, it does I help. Get, I understand it. It, it, yeah. it fills in the gaps. It shows you the straight flush and all that kind of, uh, you know, yeah, it's, yeah. yeah. It's I, I'm fine with it, but I think that the yeah. just the reactions of the characters and the music do do a good job of kind of telling a story themselves. Um, right, so we get to the car crash, which Aston Martin were very unhappy about. Uh, <laughs> why? <laughs> because it wasn't. I don't think it was in the script as such, but they were annoyed because um, it like the car physically can't do this. Like you can't crash the car this way. It has all of these safety mechanisms in place, but mm. obviously they do it, and, and the reputation is that oh, better not turn my car that. Uh. That yeah, you go. You try and go around a corner at thirty-seven miles an hour, and it tips. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay, so car crash. Uh, I love it. Spectacular moment. Well, it might. Uh, the first thing is like she goes off. And then he goes, Mathis? And, like, mm. for some reason, he's suddenly twigged that Mathis is a bad guy, and there's no reasoning behind that. We kind of get a, something later, which was... And all it came down to was, like, Le Chiffre couldn't possibly have had a fake tell or, or cheated me or bluffed me or outdone me, so Mathis must have told him. That was his only kind of evidence. It just mm. suddenly came to him at that moment. Mm. That's very weak. Um, yeah... 
Especially as it's not even explained until later. I need something a bit more solid than that. You no, know, and even then we really need to, you know, the, the next film kind of explains it in a bit more detail exactly what was going on. Next film's no good to me. Well, no, exactly. No, I, I do agree. I think it's a little bit hastily done here. But yeah, I think it's a cool crash. Nice bit mm. of stunt work. It flips over about nine times. I barely remember it, to be honest. Okay, uh, I think right. I'd switched off at this point. Well, there we go. Um, well, did this next scene do much to wake you up? Because this whole torture sequence... Bond getting straight... kinky again. Absolutely it did. It, it's, um, <laughs> it's straight out of the book. I think it's incredibly... I mean, this is the kind of thing that could have been incredibly laughable and silly if it was Brosnan it doing his pain face. Oh, for God's sake. No, it isn't. It's really well done. It it's is. really well it's... crafted. Yeah. It can be both, Calvin. It It is really <laughs> funny and silly and stupid. But it's knowingly so, and I will give mm. the film credit. You know, Mads Mikkelsen just says, like, we can dance around doing silly laser beams up your, you know, <laughs> jaffers all you want, but why don't I just smack you in the balls till you do what I want you to? Because yeah. we're both men, we know that's the most efficient way of doing this. And it's true, and it's also really funny. Okay, It's not as, it's not as good as when Pierce Brosnan's in that uh, torture chair. <laughs> He's going, oh! <laughs> I mean, I, I I appreciate that there are definitely moments of humor in this, and I think like you know Bond has his whole the world's gonna know you died scratching my balls and to the right and all that kind of yeah, stuff. Yeah, I, I was I wasn't too yes, much I knew of a you wouldn't be. Yes. Ding dong, oh, it's God. Bruce Balls Bond at the back of the door. <laughs> yes, but, yes, yes. <laughs> the point that I'm trying to get at. <laughs> no. <laughs> The point that I'm trying to get at here, and I, I, I think you can probably meet me halfway on this, Sol, because your uh, comment about it being knowingly so, I think, is a, a testament to this, that they, they're, they're in control of what they're doing in the scene. Yeah, I don't like Bond making all those gags while he's going through it. I think that lessens it. That's very Bond, though, yeah. And I think it's a shame that Bond sat down. I think it'd be way funnier if Bond was, if they could somehow rig it up so that Bond was stood up, so every time he got smacked, he kind of dropped to his knees. <laughs> you just know it's just a lot funnier when someone gets smacked in the balls and they kind of go down on, you know, on the ground. You know, would it would it have been better if it had been like uh, Bond tied up but with the old balls sort of exposed? And then he's he's just like throwing footballs or like knocking golf balls at him. So it's like we don't know which one's gonna hit, but any, sooner or later I'm gonna get him. <laughs> it kind of gr- brings in uncertainty to it, which is a greater mental torture. I think. I think it'd be funny just to kind of have him poking out, but you know, like not not just dangling, like you know, like if you kind of poke a balloon through a hole in your fingers, so like it's kind of taut, you know. Well, Alan, how do you feel like the scene works? No, I, I like I like it, yeah. I think it has the right energy. I think it's got that Bond arrogance. Even in his worst yeah. possible situation, he's still got that arrogance. Because at the very least, he's going to die. But he's going to go down like not giving this guy the satisfaction of, of breaking him. And he mm. will, and you know he will. You know he'll never break. I like that. Mm. I like that line where he says everyone's like everyone's going to know that uh, you're going to die with everyone knowing the last thing you did was scratch my balls. I thought that mm. was a great little bit. But then it's all the to the left, to the right. Ha, 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 ha. It, like, that was just like, I don't know. 
I, I think it's all incredibly well crafted. I think even if you are laughing, you're laughing with it, not at it so much. I, I think, and, and this is something that if you'd have done this a couple of films ago, it would not have been this successful. Like it, it, I, I, I think it's a marvel that they get it to work. I think, I think you can take the word this terms. out of that sentence, Calvin. <laughs> <laughs> I think, uh, yeah, you that scene only works in this bond, you know, that the, the mm. brutality that we've built in this world and and the. The more yeah visceral nature of the whole world that we've created in this film. If you did that mm. scene in a Pierce Brosnan film, it would be it would just transform into a scene with Mike Myers in it and Doctor Evil. Like, it, <laughs> it, it, it would tr- just morph into an Austin Powers. Maybe you shouldn't be hitting me in the balls. <laughs> <laughs> um, but the problem with the scene, the reason that I perhaps don't care for it as much as I might, is the way that it ends, which is mm. a guy just walks in and shoots Mad Mik- Mads Mikkelsen in the head. Mm. Now, mm. It, it's all very anticlimactic, uh, and our main villain is suddenly, boom, gone. Mm. And I'm sort of torn, because like it, it's anticlimactic, and it just feels like all of a sudden we're like, uh, and then we kind of have to have a slightly epilogue plot to pull it all together. But I do kind of like that. In a, mm. in a different film, or perhaps in a non-Bond film, that would be a nice moment where all of a sudden the the whole situation is undercut because really this guy very Cohen brother he's not he's not the uh, the the guy in charge really he is just a middleman and he's fucked up which is why he's so desperate and then the the shadowy man just comes in and kills everyone like oh my god we don't even know who he is mm. and I think that can really work and I think it does work basically on what the level it's trying to figure it out at but it's just on a Bond film you want that big climactic mm. moment with the villain don't you. Mm. Mm. In broad terms, I think I quite like the film up until this point, and this is the point where it just lost me, because it was an anticlimax. I, I didn't feel like it kind of played in that way, although I do agree that that could work in theory. Like I say, if the Coen brothers made this, that, that it feels like something they'd, they'd do with purpose, but here it just feels like mm. wonky structure. And more on that structure, we now do a classic Bond thing of just starting a whole new plot two hours plus into the film. And I was furious, because I, I I didn't need to see what follows, which is basically a remake of the last 20 minutes of, uh, is it On Her Majesty's Secret Service, the, the Lazenby one where he marries someone? Yeah, but I... I mean, in as far as the main Bond girl dies, I don't know about anything else. Mm. Well, he marries her, he falls in love and settles down. He doesn't marry her. Here, he thematically marries her, he settles down with her, you okay, get the sense that he's going to marry her. In he, Majesty's you know. Secret Service, she's not in league with the villain, there's not all this action on the, um, uh, the with the house but falling you, into but, the... But you're just waiting for them to kill her, because it's like, look, I, I know, I do know that Quantum of Solace picks off directly at the end of this film, but I also know there's a different Bond girl in it, so she's dead. I know this character's dead, or she's a villain, and as it turns mm. out, it's a bit of both, but like, there was there was no ambiguity about where we were headed, and it was just annoying. It was It was like, this is the first, this is your new springboard for a new bond franchise so why are we getting this kind of postmodern and playful with it in the first film having him settle down with a woman it just it's it's what they did in the first book so this is all in fleming not as mm. uh extravagantly staged but even like with the shady figure coming in and killing the she for a while bond is being tortured this epilogue with vesper that is all in the book and they are adapting that because they've they're going back to Fleming. They haven't faithfully adapted a Fleming story in decades at this point. When are they going to go back to Fleming and 
hold it, you know, with such reverence that they also adapt the sequence where James Bond cooks scrambled eggs and takes us through all the ingredients in great detail for 20 minutes. No, I know, and I know, and I'm certainly not saying that you know we we must pay reverence to the original text and adapt them faithfully. I'm just saying that this is where they're coming mm. from and this is what they're doing. So they are letting that original text kind of guide them. It was just too much for me. It was like, I don't want to start a new plot two hours plus into the film. This is boring now, and I don't care about any of these characters enough to care. I agree with you in that sense. It was just like, oh, not more plot. Come on, I thought this was over. But I think as a standalone thing and in part of a plot, it works. I think yeah. it's deliberate to kind of show this other side of Bond, and it is, I, I think, the general idea in terms of a this is proto-Bond, the idea is like, you get hurt once and then you shut down. Like, he finally just let I, I, I get crack that. open and then it's like, no. I, I honestly wonder if there's something to be said for, you know, the classic editing trick when something's not quite working of just put the end at the beginning. I do wonder if you could get away with putting a bit of this up front and maybe I'd like it more. It would feel like the structure was a bit more coherent and not just a, a pointless tangent at the end that you know well, it's not a pointless tangent at all <laughs> well it is mean, it is in in regards to this film i get that it's setting up the franchise as a whole and it's going to have ramifications for the next film but looking yeah, at yeah it's also royale, building for his character yeah yeah looking at casino royale as a self-contained film it, it is a real just nubbin not to mention that you know the whole the whole thing is that he finds out she was um working with the bad guys but there's a degree of nuance about that because she was you know presumably doing so to save his life but then she just kills herself at the end for no reason she just goes ah, i don't want to live don't bother saving me i'm gonna drown myself <laughs> water mm, yummy water in my lungs mm. well it's not for no reason is it like m does say that she knew she was going to her death like even before all the stuff with the house happened like it was kind of, it was kind of premeditated on her part um, can i can i i mean i look i don't i don't know what happens in casino royale but would it not have been a much much better sorry i don't know what happens in quantum of solace exactly <laughs> beyond it picking up immediately at the end of this film would it not have been a much better film if uh, ava green didn't kill herself and bond and her had to go on the run and he had to try and protect her from some villain who was like out to get her if they planned these things in advance maybe they don't they didn't know what quantum of solace was going to be until this film came out so they are just adapting the source material and at the end of the source material she dies and she kills herself i just didn't buy that that character and what we'd seen of her would kill herself at that point it didn't seem hopeless enough it felt very just the the plot driven rather than character driven I know what you're getting at, Sol, because, yeah, that all that bit sort of turns as a twist, where basically, you know, they've fallen in love and all this, and, oh, actually, she was she's working for the bad guys, what's going on? But that should influence us going back and then looking at them going off to Venice and being madly in love, and why are we not seeing her? She's just going along with it so easily, as opposed to, like, she knows she's going off to her death or whatever. It, it just feels like that should play, there should be some more grey area there, I guess, but... Also, the, I think the worst thing about all this is that the only reason we have any ideas what's going on is because they just do a massive M exposition dump at the end. Yeah. And that's yeah. very poor writing. That is yeah. poor writing. Like, yeah, yeah. We, we need to let us understand what's happening when it's happening, not just sort of afterwards. I think that's their... In as, I think they, they were sort of trying to uh, build on mistakes... Or, or rather rectify mistakes, perhaps, uh, that they made with Majesty's Secret Service. I think one of the 
this was pointed out to me by another Bond fan, I can't remember who it was, but um, how Majesty's Secret Service ends, she's just dead in the car and he's crying and that's the end. Here they have to have this kind of exposition to kind of carry you through to a bit of a kick-ass moment where he says the line and he shoots the, the villain in the leg and everything. We have that cool Bond theme. Um, but it, it ends the film on a moment of triumph and I guess this um, sequence is kind of the breather. What do you think to Eva Green's um, drowning? Because I, I, I love that like how she acts like i think it's so unglamorous i hated it because like i say i didn't buy that character it it wasn't it wasn't a fully hopeless situation or at least i didn't buy it as such and therefore i didn't buy any of the characters decisions or what have you like the well it's i mean he's killed everyone at this point he's killed all the bad guys yeah and mm. she is going to her death because she doesn't feel like she can live with herself after what she's done what she's done is not that bad like it's not like because she, she didn't really double cross him she she did it to save whatever the ex-boyfriend is and also you know we assume from what m says during the torture thing she convinced them to leave him alive and she'd give him the money that's what i mean it doesn't seem like she's that done anything that bad really and she doesn't seem like she seems like quite a pragmatic character who wouldn't be that torn by the fact that she had to make a difficult decision to do you know what i mean she if they'd established her as being very black and white and i mean i'm, I'm so glad they didn't do any of that <laughs> i i agree with sol but i also think that we are analyzing this in so much more depth than we ever get to with Bond film, in terms of the characters and stuff. Yeah. Because at least it is doing something, at least it's trying something. Mm. It's not nailing it necessarily perfectly, but that's okay, it's doing a good enough job. Mm. But then we do end on a moment of triumph as he shoots Mr. White in the leg, and then we say, Bond, James Bond, Bond theme plays for the first time in the film, and that's us done. So, there we go. I think Alan summed it up quite nicely there when he's sort of, we're talking about this in a lot more depth than we normally would for uh, mm. these kinds of films, which has been good. I, I hope that the listeners have enjoyed this conversation as much as I have had having it. Because that, that kind of really expresses how I felt about this. There was so much more going on here that, yeah, I know I've picked up a few pieces here and there, pulled at a few strings, but ultimately I I think that's because there's more there to pick at. And I really enjoyed the film. I... I, I definitely think there's 20 minutes to be taken out of it, but at the same time, it kept me going, it, it kept me engaged. Yeah, that last action sequence, I, I didn't need it. But having said all that, I think this is not just the best Bond film that we've seen. I think this is as good as it can be, hmm. for me, you know what I mean? Because you've got to hit all that, you've got to tick all those boxes, certain things of Bond, and, and kind of make things work and, and sell it as a mainstream action film for. 19 year old boys so there's only so much you can do in terms of making a good film and i think this is as good as it's gonna get and on that end i will give it a very solid eight out of ten hmm um well i'll go next then i suppose probably don't need to go too much into why but i am going to give it a 10 out of 10 it's Ooh. one of the very fine yeah i mean it, it's a bond film that i can sort of stand behind as being something more than just a bit of nice fluffy fun entertainment as i think most of the previous 20 mm. films we've covered are um there's an awful lot more going on and i do appreciate like whenever i do see it with an audience which has happened several times since seeing it in the cinema on its initial release like oh, me and alan haven't mentioned this but you might remember that we went to the secret cinema event mm. for this and that was a really yes, fun head experience patreon.com forward slash dim returns for access to the diminisode audio diary where calvin oh, and alan correct, yeah. 
were they were out recording at Secret Cinema Casino Royale James Bond experience and sounded like they had a great bit of fun. <laughs> Calvin got drunk. <laughs> yes. Um, and uh, just seeing it with an audience and hearing the laughs when people should laugh and the silence when people should be silent, all that kind of stuff. I think it still I love plays and holds up quite when well. people should be silent. <laughs> Uh, it's a 10 out of 10 from me just to pick up on that Calvin quickly um, of all the Bond films we've seen this is the one where I would go oh do you know what I'll, I'll, I'll put Casino Royale on I, I want I want an action film oh it's the bank holiday let's see what's on ITV2 oh cool it's Casino Royale yeah. whereas I would not watch any others hmm okay so Sol the, the big moment well I mean I, I thought it was one of the worst ones I give it 3 out of 10 <laughs> April Fool's <laughs> fool dickhead. you fool <laughs> you idiot oh. <laughs> Such a damn fool. <laughs> um no, I, I I agree with the broad sentiment that it is clearly the best film in this franchise to date. Except my memory is that I prefer Doctor No and Goldfinger. Um Good Lord. And I do <laughs> I bet if I, you watch Doctor No and Yeah, I think that's more the you know when inevitably I have to fucking rewatch those films for this podcast at some point in the future, <laughs> I uh, I'm sure that I'll find that I don't actually like them as much. Like, I think Doctor No got a lot of goodwill because the franchise hadn't like bored me down, worn me down to mm. where I'm at now. So look, like yeah, there's a lot to love here. It's it's actually made like a real film for the first time. Um. <laughs> If it had ended at the point where Mads Mikkelsen got shot and they found a way to make that satisfying, yeah, 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 this would be a seven, maybe even pushing an eight because I'd sort of respect it beyond necessarily enjoying it. Uh, but that last 20 minutes or so, half an hour, just really wound me up and it did just ruin it. It was so unsatisfying for me. It just had nothing to do with anything that had happened. And, you know, I watched this yesterday and I'm struggling to remember key scenes in it. And like I say, I think I think this is just like what people like you get out of Marvel. That, you know, like it's well made and it's fine, but you just don't really care. And I, and I kind of agree with Alan. Maybe that's the roof for me. Maybe that's as good as it's going to get with Bond. But I don't think it is because I, I saw enough um, here that I do think someone else could come along and make a Bond movie that perhaps wouldn't be universally the most popular or well-regarded, but would play for me much better, you know? Um, But I'm giving it a 6 out of 10. 6 out of 10. But there is putty here that you think could be moulded into something that you might enjoy more, more so than the previous Bonds that we've watched on the first outing. If I could be bothered, I reckon I could go in and edit this film down into something that I liked. Well, you know what? This this has been a really good discussion, and I'm very glad that we had it. Um, I yes, I I I feel like I've come away with new not opinions necessarily, <laughs> but new appreciation for uh, different elements, uh, things I hadn't noticed before. Weaknesses. So, it's lovely. I yeah, yes. 